You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. Good morning, everybody. Well, it may not be morning when you're listening, I guess. It's morning for me right now recording this. Uh, it's just me today. Susan had an appointment that she had to um, be at this morning, and Joel is, I think he's still on vacation. He's MIA, that's for sure. Um, so we'll get right into it. Today, um, we have a guest who is a military veteran and he's a business owner. Um, and so we just want to talk to him and his name is Tyler Jeffries. How are you doing? I'm doing well. <laughs> How's business these days? Uh, pretty good, man. Can't complain. That's good. So, that's what we like to hear. Pretty good. As long as people are supporting our vets, man, that's, that's where it's at. Oh yeah. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> so, Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, kind of a brief background. Um, that's always difficult to talk about yourself, you know what I mean? But Yeah, I know. Uh, so obviously my name's Tyler. Um, grew up in Florida. I'm a Florida guy at heart. Um, briefly uh, joined the military in um, 2010 and you know, got out in 2014 after my injury and been running a nonprofit ever since and trying to help out other veterans in need. And here I am. Yeah. So what's the name of your business? Uh, it's called Hooking Veterans. That's right. And you're the captain, huh? Well, I'm, I'm the president. <laughs> of it, yeah. so there's, there's other guys that help out for sure. Other co-founders that obviously they do a lot as well. So that's good. Definitely give them some credit as well. So couldn't do it alone, you know? That's, well, out. yeah, you never can. I mean, it's, it's a lot though. Susan, she ran our nonprofit for a long time, basically by herself. Um, and but she's she's a go getter, you know. She works seven days a week, and she's available, you know, twenty four seven. She's always been that way. She's fantastic at that. So, you know, if you're not dedicated to do that, then you definitely need some help. That's for sure. That's right. So. My wife actually uh, was reading a book, and that's how we learned about you. Um, when she started reading it, um, she started telling me some of the stories that were in it. And it was about moms um, that had sons and or daughters that were injured during the war. Uh, and their world was kind of turned around because now they're, you know, given being their caregivers again for their sons or daughters. Uh, and that's how we heard your story. Um, <clears throat> so like you said, you joined the Army in 2010. What was your job title? What would you do, your MOS? I was the infantry, 11 Bravo. Okay. Just a door kicker, man. Nothing just, special. Just a grunt, <laughs> right? <laughs> so um, I knew going into the Army when I first joined, that's what I wanted to do, and I, was, I never wavered from that. So. so from like being young, you always wanted to get into the Army? Uh, no, actually. <laughs> um, when I was young, it really wasn't a thought of mine. My whole mil my whole family had military backgrounds from my brother to my dad, uncles, grandfathers. Right. Um, 
really wasn't a thought of mine until after I got injured. I um, I, I played baseball growing up. So. Okay. <coughs> uh, excuse me. I played baseball growing up. So um, my senior year, just before my senior year, um, I was a pitcher, actually. Um, I tore my UCL on my elbow. Wow. Um, so I went from I was left-handed, throwing about 85. Uh, miles an hour and uh went from throwing 85 to about 77 so that's yeah it's a big difference baseball that's a big difference exactly you know? yeah so my senior year i still played still the best i can but i just always i got to the points where i just couldn't throw the ball as hard anymore and it just right. too bad so um my uh my dreams of scholarships <laughs> and colleges and, and doing that um kind of went out the window right so, the typical thing when you're 18, I you know got out of high school and kind of moseyed around a little bit, you know, doing my own thing, and um, I got to the point where I was like, hey, I need to make a, a life change and and do what's good for me, and you know, set a future for myself, basically. So right. I was like, you know what, I guess the you know, military is the best option for me. Um, so that's what I did. Yeah, that's 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 how I was too. I got out of. Um... High school, I wanted to be a police officer, but I was too young. I was only 18, and you had to be 21. Uh, our highway patrol here had a program where you could get hired as at 18, and then you'd go to the academy, and then you'd wait doing different jobs around for the department until you turned 21, and then you'd go right on into your training and on the street. And so I started going through that process, and then they had a big hiring freeze, and then I was like, well, shit, now what am I going to do? So I went into the Air Force and was like, well, it's a good option. Followed my dad. That's what he was in. And he all he ever did was talk about how great it was. So That's what everyone always talks about, great the Air Force is, man. <laughs> I can tell you our facilities were really nice, especially compared to you guys. <laughs> I can tell you I was at uh, Fort Lewis when I was in the Army, and um, it was it's Joint Base Lewis-McChord, so right. there's the Air Force attached to us, right? And uh, there was a handful of times that we had to go to the Air Force side of the base, and we're like, you know, since we're here, <laughs> I guess we might as well go to the Chow Hall. You know? and That's right. And might as well suffer best. through it. It's, it's twice as good, man. <laughs> I must, I must, exactly. I'm going to suffer through this one. You, know? <laughs> you, 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 just, you walk in and you just get these looks. Everybody side-eyeing you from all the Air Force guys. Like, yeah. What are these guys doing here? Get like, out of my, my. Like, hey, you didn't join the Air Force. You don't get to eat <laughs> <Right>? here. <laughs> exactly. so, That's funny. Yeah, but I've always heard, everyone's always said, you know, um, and I've always told everybody else too, I was like, if you basically want to, join a military branch that has a good family oriented career, I guess the air force is the way to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's always what I've heard and what I've told people as well. So my daughter joined the army. I don't She never talked to me. She just came home and said, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm enlisted in the army. I'm like, okay, have fun, you know? And she went over to Afghanistan or not. She went to Iraq. So gotcha. yeah, I love the army too, man. I had a great time in the army. I can't complain. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely some times it sucks. Don't get me wrong. Right. You know, yeah. It's up at five o'clock and PT and yeah. eight in life at the moment. And, but after that, everything got good. So it wasn't too bad. Well, it got good to a point, right? I mean, to a point, I still <laughs> wouldn't change things. And bad things happened to me. Yeah. You know, I almost died a couple of times, you know. And yeah. as you can imagine, you know, being in combat and everything else. So, but 
Um, and even before that, Airborne School almost died there too. So, right, really? Uh, what happened there? I, I made it all the way to the ground without my parachute deploying. I kid you not. I absolutely <laughs> kid you not. It was uh, it was terrifying. <laughs> Free falling out of a plane. Yeah. Um, so I, I can tell you the story if you want to hear it. Yeah, let's hear it. So uh, what happens is I think we were jumping out of a C-130 that day, and we were both we were two lines jumping out of the same same uh, or different doors in the same plane, right? Um, we had a full combat load on, so we had rucksacks on our shins, carrying all this kind of stuff. And um, as you know, like the T-10 Delta Parachute, you know, that deploys automatically. Right. Um, so you don't have to rip, rip your own cord. Um, so instantly we jump out of the, the plane doors, right? And the the black cat there said he's never seen this in his 20 years of, of you know, <laughs> doing that. He's never seen this. I was like, great, it had to be me. Exactly. Right? Um, so what happens was we both jump out at the same time and we both get sucked underneath the plane. Wow. And for whatever reason, there's some weird, weird wind tunnel or something. I don't know. We got sucked underneath the plane. And what happened is my legs, my whole body, like legs first, went through his risers above his head. So as his parachute is deploying, his risers are the strings that hold him to the parachute. Right. So my body goes between his risers. And as my parachute is deploying, it gets wrapped around him and around his shoulders and around his risers. So <laughs> it's actually constricting him so his arms are at his sides Jeez. and his parachute is not able to deploy because my parachute is wrapped on his parachute. Um, you know, it, I think it only takes a few minutes um, to get to the ground, you know, jumping from, I think it's 1,250 feet. We jumped from an airborne school. Um, but I tell you what, it feels like a lifetime. I you bet. Know? So we start free falling for what seemed like forever. And, um, <laughs> and then all of a sudden his parachute opens up to about 90% of the way. And at this point I realize I look straight up and I realize I'm actually just dangling. Like underneath him, about ten foot to fifteen foot down below him, and my parachute still just wrapped around him. And Jeez. I can remember very vividly him looking down, and we're both freaking out. He looks down at me, and he goes, "He goes, what do we do?" And I just look right back up at him, and I'm like, "I don't freaking know." <laughs> like, in my head, I'm like thinking, "I was like, okay, like, like you always kind of go back to your training, what you've been told." Right? I was like, "Do I do I pull this reserve parachute, or or do I not?" You know. Right. And, and immediately I was like, you know what? If I pull this preserved parachute, what's going to happen is it's going to go, it's going to deploy, but it's going to steal the air from the parachute that's carrying us both. Right. Uh, at this point. So, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to ride this out. I'm going to ride to the ground. We're going to see what happens. And and Airborne School, everyone that's, everyone that's ever been to Airborne School can attest to this. But they always tell you that t- they're like, uh, a T-10 Delta parachute can carry full two fully combat loaded you know, airborne soldiers to the ground. And then everyone always looks at each other and goes, bullshit. Yeah, right. But <laughs> it did. It 100% did Damn. that. Day. I mean, so like, there I am just dangling under this guy. And you can imagine we're falling pretty fast. <clears throat> right. You know, I am smacking the ground first, obviously. And um, and I, I mean, I made it out pretty good. I had cuts and bruises and scratches everywhere. My hands are all bloody from the risers. And, um, I didn't break anything. I was able to continue and go on, but that wow. was that was pretty terrifying. Man, that was my <laughs> second, I, my next, my next three. Um, you know, the, I was back in the plane, and I'm just trembling, shaking a little oh, bit. I bet. I bet. So, what and, did the uh, instructor say when you hit the ground? Man, they they had to have been pretty freaked out too. Oh, they were they were hauling ass in the vehicles right <laughs> to me before I even landed. They knew where I was landing, and they got to me pretty quick. 
Uh, but he's like, yeah, I've never seen that in my 20 years of doing this. Ever seen that? And I was like, dude, I'm, again, I'm, I'm glad I was the first one. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, like, use this for training, I guess, or something. Man, but that's crazy. It was, it was terrifying. And the plus side is at that moment, I, I no longer wanted to be in the, in the airport, <laughs> um, which is understandable. Like, if I would have went to an airborne unit, I would have been, yeah, I've been fine with it. Like, I would have sucked it up and dealt with it, you know, of course. Right. You know, but, um, you know, after basic training, they always give you, you know, you have orders, right? You have orders sure. for, you know, what unit you go to. And um, right after my basic, I was supposed to go to Fort Bragg because I was, I was going to Airborne right after basic. So, um, and then after Airborne, I guess it's by the grace of God or something, they're like, hey, here's your new orders. And I'm like, okay, it's Fort Lewis to a ground unit. You know, we had strikers and stuff. Was, you know, right. Thanking God that moment a little bit, you know, was like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> someone's looking out for me. That's right. <laughs> And when you free fall out of a plane, you kind of don't want to do that anymore, you know? Yeah. That, right. Unless you're meaning to do some free fall. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's craziness. Wow. So you join, you get in, you get through basic, you get through airborne. How long before you end up getting deployed? Um, it was about almost two years before we deployed. Hmm. Um, I ended up getting to the unit and they were actually just getting back. Oh, from, okay. Um, their deployment in 2010. Um, so I got there around um, June or July because I joined in January of 2010. So that's when my basic started. So yeah, it was about it was about June or July or something. By t- maybe July by the time I got there. I don't, I don't remember the exact dates, to be honest right. with you. But they were just getting back. Um, so we had a, a good down period before we had to get deployed again. So um, which is good and bad, you know. Some people don't like the whole training phase of you know, a year and a half or two years of training and doing the stuff before you go over. But right. Made it do and got it done and deployed in 2012 and the rest is history from there. So how, how long were you, were you deployed before you actually got injured? Um, it was about six and a half, seven months. Okay. I was there before I got blown up. So, so I was there for a good amount of time. We were on a nine month deployment. So I was literally a few months from coming back home. Wow. Uh, which is unfortunate, but either way, I still made it back. So, so tell everyone how you got injured over there. Um, so we were we were on a platoon base in the middle of nowhere, right? Like, um, <laughs> I think we I think we had twenty six guys on this base. Um, so not not very much, not very many of us. Um, so we were taking um, constant fire from this um, one location. You know, probably every day, every other day. It was it's the same kind of place. Um, so we finally had enough. I'm like, hey, let's go investigate this. Let's go see what's um, what's going on over here. Um, so that's what we did. We woke up about, I think, 04 that morning. And it was I can remember that day very vividly for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it was about 04. Everybody's getting up, getting dressed. And um, yeah, we head out to go go set up a, a Overwatch position, basically, on this place. And um the route we took that day was probably not the route we should have taken. I think everyone, even my squad leaders at the time, told me we should not have taken that route because I'll get to that. But it's, it's just that's the reason why it took so long to get me out. Um, <clears throat> so I mean, we were just we were just walking on patrol, and it was actually it was within a few um, clicks from our actual base, so it wasn't far. Um, and we were I remember leading the patrol that day. I was actually running the minesweeper. I volunteered. Uh, there was a guy that was supposed to be doing it. Um, I would, he was in tower guard at, at midnight. 
Um, he came inside the talk and he's like, hey, man, is anyone able to take my spot? I'm just super tired. I don't want to get up in three hours, three and a half hours to go on this patrol. And I was like, you, you know what, dude? I, I got you. I'll, I'll take your spot. So um, I wasn't supposed it was different. It wasn't my squad that went out that day, basically. Oh, okay. So, but they were taking volunteers. I volunteered. I was like, sure, man, you, you'll help, you help your, your, your butt out. Sure, you know, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I did. Um, leading the patrol that day, we were, you know, mine sweeping up in front. Um, me and my squad leader, Sergeant Blair, um, and we were just setting in the gun teams and setting up this overwatch position. Um, and I was actually clearing this wadi. Um, I don't know if you, you know what a wadi yeah, is. Sure, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I was clearing this wadi. Uh, we had already um, looked up other broken down buildings and stuff and cleared all the, these pathways. Um, and the pathway to get out to here was this narrow, it, it must have been three foot wide at its at its widest point, just a wide, like with wadis on both sides of you. You know, so it was really, we probably, again, we probably shouldn't have taken this path. You couldn't really maneuver on it. Right. You're almost sitting ducks on it. Yeah. Um, Cause they always tell you, you don't take any path that's not been cleared by a minesweeper yet. And, um, which is understandable. Um, so we, again, we, uh, we were setting in gun teams and I remember getting up to this last wadi, man. And I just was clearing it. And then I took, I remember put my right foot down and then I put my left foot down and then just boom, there it went, you know? And, um, the explosion went off and they, they tell me um, EOD when they, I guess, came out after the, the fact and told me it was about 55 pounds. Jeez. Um, HME. Um, so as soon as it went off, I just remember about 10 seconds later, I woke up on my back um, and I remember everyone just screaming my name. They're just, everyone saying just Jeffries, Jeffries. And I'm just <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm still in a little daze. and like, what's going on? Like, yeah. I'm like, okay, I was just standing up. Why am I laying on my back right now? You know, I, I had no sure. idea. And everyone screamed my name. I could just, I remember very vividly, I look over to my left and I'm just like, what? <laughs> what do you want? Like, leave me alone. You know, like, what's going on? Um, and that's when I um, I felt Sergeant Cunningham is his name. Um, probably one of my best friends now. He's actually the guy that he got to me first. Um, he was actually in my squad and he volunteered to go out on that, that patrol as well um, with a different squad because I was out there too. I mean, he uh-huh. was a really good friend of mine. Yeah, that's good. Uh, but he was the one there with the most experience, this being his fifth deployment. Wow. Um, so he he was in the leading, he was in the very back of the patrol that day. And I have the video of all this, so I know this. Um, so he actually, as soon as the explosion went off, you could see through the smoke him, like from a movie or something, just <laughs> running through the, the whole squad of people setting teams. He's running through everyone as the explosion went off. And everyone else is just kind of dazed, confused, like what just happened? Yeah. This bomb just went off, you know? And, and here he is just sprinting through the whole pack of everyone, running through the smoke. And he was the first one to get to me because he was in the back and I was in the very front. And I just immediately, I just, I feel him grab my, my shoulder straps and my chest plate and, uh, start dragging me out. And at that point I'm like, okay, something, something must be wrong here. Right. You know, I, I can't, so I, look, I look down and I just, um, as he's pulling me back and I see my legs kind of, they're gone, you know, my left, like just pieces and stuff flopping everywhere and, you know, blood and everything. Um, they were instantly gone. You know, my right leg was right below the knee. Um, I could see just my bones and everything sticking out, which I was like, holy shit, you know, yeah. this, this is it, you know? And so he pulls me out of the immediate blast area. And then he immediately starts putting tourniquets on me. He put two tourniquets on me, like um, on both legs. Um, I mean, he had he had a tourniquet on both legs before the the medic even got to me. You know, um, so that that's how fast he reacted. Uh, that's fantastic. Ultimately, 
ultimately what actually saved my life. Sure. Was that he really was so fast and got to me so quickly. Yeah, you could have bled well, out really, yeah. really quickly. That's that's his experience, man. I, I thank him all the time, man. He, he always gets some messages from me, man. Just thanks for what you did and thanks for, for helping me out. I mean, everyone did their part. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not saying it was just him. You know, other people eventually came to you and would come help and pass me up all at the same time and secure in the area. And um, I'm not, I don't remember if they took contact or not, but it was a, um, it was an interesting day that day. And um, I can, I mean, I was awake for this entire time because it took it from the time I got blown up to the time I got put on the, the helo for extraction. It took 55 minutes. Wow. That's a long time. It is a long time. Um, and I was awake for all that. That's um, what so I thought I was, was pretty amazing when we were reading the book. Um, it said that you remembered everything from the time basically from the you know you're out for like maybe 10 seconds but from that point on you you were awake alert you remembered everything which is yeah, pretty amazing when you're going through you know a traumatic event like that and just from even just the pain you know that type of stuff just so much going on in your body being in shock like that and as you're still able to remember everything yeah it was it was interesting man um Everyone's trying to keep me as calm as possible. Um, I'm, I remember Sergeant Seymour is his name. Uh, I go to lift my head up and to look back down my legs. I only looked because I only saw my legs once or twice. Um, the first time when I was getting pulled out and then I was laying there and I went to lift my head up and I just remember him like little almost punched me in the forehead and <laughs> just slammed my head back down. He's like, no, don't look at that. You, you don't need to look at that. <laughs> yeah, which is true. You know, so most people, you see something like that, you start going into shock, you know, and that's that shock leads to your death. Exactly, um, yeah. You need to stay as calm as possible and then not kind of look at that stuff. So I remember him just slamming my head down. And, you know, we started having conversations. And, and, and I was like, I actually remember telling all of them. I was like, Dude, I'm going to have a beer before you guys are. I'm going home kind of thing. And, um, so it was, it was a little funny at first. We had a few laughs and jokes about it. And, you know, obviously you could. And there was a time, though, I actually I started looking around at everybody. And I actually kind of I, I remember looking up to to the to the sky um, you know, the clouds and stuff. And, uh, uh, I, that's when I, th I thought that that was, that was it for me. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's where my story was in. I say, that's, this is it. I, I realized how bad I was hurting. Um, and about 15 minutes into it, that's when the real pain started. Mm. Um, I think of course they give you morphine, that kind of stuff, but it, um, because initially, it, it, you don't feel something like that as much. You know, I had a lot of people ask me, like, how, how does it feel? Did it hurt? I was like, yeah. well, of course it hurt, you know. But the initial shock of it, you don't really feel it as much, you know. Well, but you're, after a few minutes goes by, that's like it all the pain hits you all at once. Right. And and you know, probably your body and your mind's trying to figure out what the hell just happened. How mm -hmm. am I? What's What's here? What's not here? You know, what's good? What's not good? Yeah. So I remember like laying there looking up to the sky and I'm like, okay, this is, this is it, you know? And, and I didn't, you know, I didn't say anything like, you know, you know, tell my family I love them or anything like that. Any of that's, you know, movie kind of stuff, you know? Right. Um, but I just, I, and uh, I don't mean to get too emotional or, or, uh, or gushy here, but I just, I just never looked at the guy's faces, man. And I just, I, I see some dudes that just look really sad that, you know, that they, they thought I was about to yeah. die right there. Um, but I didn't. I didn't. So um, <laughs> I'm happy about that. And like I said, we were joking around. And 
they end up putting me on a, a, a skid steer or a skid steer, excuse me. Um, uh, they ended up carrying me out of there on a on skid and um, actually had to jump through the water. I remember that very clearly. So I looked to the left because the, the, the wadi on both sides was five foot deep. Jeez. You know, so like, and they're like, they're carrying me out of here. And they had to get across the water into this open field to where like, the helicopter could land. Okay. Get me. And um, so I, I can remember them talking, like, hey, we need to clear that first, clear the wadi, clear all this stuff. And I just remember somebody saying, you know, I don't, don't want to cuss on here, but they're like, yo, F that. You know, like, just <laughs> not doing that. You know? and, We're and, going. Uh, yeah. And someone, I, I can't, I do, like, for life, I, mean, I can't remember who did it first. Um, but someone just like basically cannonballed right inside this wadi, like immediately first, and just because he had to lift both hands above his head, he had to be the first one to happen because you can't get wet. That kind of those that water over there, it's so disgusting, yeah. so much bacteria and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's do not want to be in that water unless you absolutely have to. Um, so the guy in the middle had to jump in and have both hands raised above his head and basically direct me over top of his head wow. as like they're trying to get me across this water. Um, and eventually I did, and then you know Hilo was able to land, and I was able to get on there. And I should, probably ten seconds after being on that helicopter, like they must have given me some morphine or something because <laughs> I was was out. Wow! Um, I got so, to the yeah. Where did they take you to first? I don't remember. I don't remember what base it was. Um, I know it was obviously a bigger base that had you know medical team, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, because as soon as I got on the helicopter, it just it went blank. And then this is gonna sound cheesy, man, but I, it was like it was like one of those movie things of you seeing people in ERs just on stretchers going down the hallways, the lights going above your head sure. and stuff. Yeah, I remember that. I'm not kidding. So like, <laughs> um, I remember them taking me off the heli. Like I woke up soon after I got off of it and just going through almost like a hallway and just like white lights above my head. I'm just seeing this and and um, doctors and stuff everywhere. Um, I was out soon after that as well, but I, I remember that part, seeing those lights, which was um, kind of cheesy sounding, but I, I, <laughs> I, I saw that. So um, so I, I was told I, I died a few times, um, and they were able to get me back, um, and then I woke up, um, I don't know how long later, and I was all patched up, and had, you know, I guess I, they woke me up so I can call home, basically what oh, happened. Okay. Um, I was only awake for a few minutes. They, I guess, gave me some medicine to wake me up. Um, I was able to call home, call to my mom, and um, let her know what happened. And she already knew what happened. Really? Um, that yeah, quick? Huh? The Army, yeah, the Army already contacted her, let her know, like, hey, your your son was injured. They didn't give her any details of mm-hmm. exactly what happened, you know. But so, about um, how so long from the time you got injured till the time you you made that phone call to your mom. How, how long do you think that was? I mean, you had 55 minutes before you even got on the halo, right? If if I had to guess, I would say somewhere between four and six hours. Yeah. Well, they had to do surgery on you and at least yep. get you medically stable. Yep. That's, and, um, that's fast, though. It is. Yeah, it was really quick. Um, so. so what did you tell yeah, your mom? Um... um I was, I was pretty drugged up at this point. So. <laughs> um, uh, I think from what she tells me and stuff like that, I, and what I remember of it, I basically just, uh, you know, I, I told my mom, I was like, hey, you know, like, you know, I was, I was hurt. You know, I got hurt basically, and she was obviously in tears and breaking sure. down. She's like, I, she's like, I know Tyler, I know, and I'm just, 
like, yeah, like I guess, I guess I'll see you when I see you when I get home, you know? And, um, and that was it. And it was a very short conversation. And then, you know, she went and she was obviously devastated. Um, but then like, well, plus side of that, as soon as I got up the phone, you know, I could see the hallway in front of me. I'm looking up, I could see people walking by a bunch of military guys, of course. And, uh-huh. um, I actually saw Sergeant Morelli. He was one of my um, squad leaders. He actually moved platoons to uh, recon, but for whatever reason, I don't know. It was, he was there, you know, and yeah. I just saw him walking down the hallway and I just screamed out. We call him Sergeant Mo for short. Um, <laughs> so I, just, I was like, Hey, Sarbo. And he's like, he looks over his shoulder. like, what the hell? And he, he's like, Oh shit. So he just comes rushing in there. Gives me this giant hug, dude. And we talked for about one minute before, you know, they actually gave me some medicine, put him back to sleep. And, <laughs> Um, but I was just so happy to see him because I've, I've known him since the first day I arrived at my unit. And uh-huh. I've known the, probably one of the longest guys I knew. And he was just a great guy all around. So, um, so obviously I told him, hey, man, take care, buddy. Make sure it makes it back. And uh, everybody my best and send my love. And yeah. so. So how long um, did you stay at that base before they brought you back uh, stateside? Um, I was only, I was back in the States, I think in like two days. Wow. That's good. Uh, maybe, maybe three days. Um, so as soon as I believe, I, I believe they took me to calf first. That's why I did my initial surgeries and got me stable. It was one of the bigger bases there. The calf is one of the biggest bases in Afghanistan, I believe. Um, yeah, literally has a Burger King and TJF Fridays. Jeez. I, I kid you not. That's crazy. Um, yeah. Um, so I think they took me there first to get stabilized. And after that, um, they sent me over to Germany. Um, I don't remember Germany at all. Not not a single bit. Um, I must have been asleep for the whole time. Um, so you're only there for I, just a quick stop? A quick stop. Maybe maybe 24 hours I was in Germany for. You know, it wasn't long. Um, from what I was told there and what the reports say from the doctors, I had they had to get me stable. You know, So I was very unstable over there. A lot of stuff was going on over there. Um, before they could, you know, put me on a plane to transfer me back to the states. Right. Um, so I guess it took about twenty four hours for they were. I was finally stable enough to travel, um, and then they they sent me back to the states, and I, I woke up basically from the time I got injured, and you know, from the last phone call I made to my mom and talked to Sergeant Mo. After that, I woke up about two days later and at Walter Reed, um, in ICU. So, and that's when I saw my my family around me and everything, and you know. Yeah, and the army was good to get your family out there quickly to you, and because they were there, what right after you woke up, or oh yeah, they, they were they were there right after. I mean, they told my mom um, that you know where I was going to be sent to. I was sent to Walter Reed, um, and they're like they're like, hey, we'll we'll let you know when you can come up here. Um, we'll let you know when he gets here. That way you can make arrangements to come. And she's like, screw that, I'm coming now. Before he <laughs> yeah, I'll be so, waiting. <laughs> Yeah, she was literally there waiting. You know, it's like she wasn't going to wait for someone to say, "Hey, it's okay to come now." She yeah. left immediately. You know, packed up all of her stuff, and um, she actually ended up quitting her job. Wow! Um, that same day, she told her boss, "Hey, I'm I quit. You know, I'm going to take care of my son. You yeah. know, that just got blown up." And you know, um, and her her boss said, "No, you're not quitting. You know, <laughs> you're going to keep your job, and then once you get stable, you're going to be able to work from home and do your job from home." And so she was able to take care of me and still work. Walter Reed from wow. home from our laptop and um, yeah without her I wouldn't be here today was, yeah that's uh, that was a big task for her but you know I mean she's your mom she's gonna do whatever she can 
you know, as long as she can, you know, whatever it takes. Uh, she gave right. birth to you, so she's not letting anything happen to you, you know, without her say so, I'm sure. That's right. Uh, wow, that's so. fantastic. So now, so she's over there with you. Um, you're in and out of surgeries, I would take it. How many surgeries did you have over at Walter Reed? Um, I was about 30 plus surgeries. So Holy really, cow, that's crazy. 30 plus surgeries to just constant cleanings. And um, I know, I do know while I was actually in Germany, they had the that's where I lost my actual left leg. Um, it was when I originally got blown up, it was right below the knee. Um, but I guess the infection in Germany is what they told me. is so I got too infected and they had to take the rest of my knee, my left knee in, a, in a Germany. So, um, so yeah, a lot of surgeries at Walter Reed, just the constant cleanings, making sure the infections don't spread and just yeah. bandage, bandaging, doing some stuff, taking little pieces here and there. And uh, when they finally got me stable and then, 42 days later, I took my first steps. 42 days later, huh? Jeez. 42 days later. So That's pretty crazy. So how was that learning how to walk again? I mean, with not um, your regular legs, you know? I mean, your mind says, oh, this is easy. I know how to do this. But obviously, you got to retrain. It was very difficult, um, for me at least, and I think everyone's relatively the same. At, at first, it's a huge learning curve. I mean, you're basically walking on stilts. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it it took it took a solid week with working with the physical therapist, the PT and stuff to to really know how you got to swing your hips and and, um, and walk with these different types of prosthetics and mm -hmm. how you and basically your stride again, you know, and uh, sure. So like I was able to, like I said, 42 days later, I was able to take my first steps. Um, but it, it wasn't until a few weeks after that to where I was able to like really walk on my own without like the assistance and, uh, uh, almost figure out prosthetics. Uh, I'm still to this day, not the greatest on them. I won't lie about that, <laughs> uh, but there's some guys, man, that they're just, they'll, they'll blow your mind on some of those things. Man. Yeah. My, my buddy there, um, Josh White is his name. Um, good friend. He lost both of his legs um, as well. He was, dude. He was incredible. He was both lost both legs above the knee. So he had two prosthetic legs that had electronic knees on them. Wow! And he was incredible walking on these legs, man. He would be able, He would literally sit on the ground. I shit. I shit you not. Sit on the ground, and with his legs out in front of him, his prosthetic legs, and he would do a rolling backflip and then stand up on his legs and then just start walking forward. Wow. I'm like, holy crap, dude. Like this guy. <laughs> yeah. This made me look bad every time I was in there with him. You're like, quit showing off. <laughs> yeah. Well, but they always say though, they if it's it's easier if you have both legs missing, it's easier to either be both below the knee or both above the knee. Okay. Um, and there's different reasons for that, but um, that's what you know the doctors always told me. It's you typically easier in that sense. And I'm not trying to um, you know, discredit anyone at all, you know, when I say that, you know, or especially my buddy Josh that had both above the knee sure. and say he just had an easier time. So he's better. That's not the case. He just, he put a lot of work in, man. Yeah. Um, everyone handles it different, differently. Um, everyone's bones are different, you know, so, sure. um, where I, I might walk and I might be in a bunch of pain even to this day, you know, walking around if depending on how far I walk, someone else that had the similar injuries to me and they could walk twice as far just because it's just, they don't feel that pain. Right. It just doesn't affect them that way. You know, yeah. so everyone's different um, when it comes to that. So like you might see one guy that's, you know, posting videos on 
on YouTube and all kinds of stuff, working out and running on legs and doing <laughs> yeah. this, doing that. Like, dude, more, dude, I give you all the props to the world. You're doing awesome, dude. I yeah. much love, you know. But there, there's some guys that have prosthetic legs and they can't do that. And it's not because they don't want to. It's just they, they physically, it's very right. painful. Sure, I bet. So how long you spent, what, like four months over at Walter Reed? Is that right? I was at Walter Reed for 18 months. Oh, 18 months. Wow. Holy cow. Yep. So what was it like coming home for the first time? Um. You mean like back home home? Yeah. You know, like outside the I mean, it was, I guess it was bittersweet. Um, I mean, the first time I came back, I was still technically in the army. You know, I didn't right. retire until a while later. Um, it was bittersweet, but it kind of, it, it kind of sucked. I like a lie. Um, I mean, the house wasn't accessible, you know, obviously mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Right. But, um, a lot of big changes for you, right? Yeah, I, 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 do. I struggled. I struggled my first because I, I was alone. I had my mom. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I, I don't want this to come off the wrong way or nothing like that. But I, I still felt alone. You know, it was it was my mom. It was like you can share like you can share personal stuff with your parents. I always have. I've been really close to my mom. Um, but still, there's a certain stuff you kind of keep to yourself. Sure. Like, it, especially when it comes to your parents, you don't want them to see you vulnerable or see yeah. you less of a person and stuff like that. Right. So. Um, there's very many times where I just, I felt alone and I just, I, I was in a very bad spot. Um, so, so even, yeah, you know, what did, what, what helped you get through those, those bad times, those hard spots, those dark times? Um, I would say my service dog. Really? Yeah. Um, I got a service dog. His name was Apollo. He was a European red Doberman. Um, up until that point I got him had to be six months after I got blown up, maybe maybe a little longer. Um, but I got him, and he was – because even though I felt alone, I, I, I had a dog, and this – some people may not understand this, and some people will, uh, but it almost gave me another reason to get out of bed. Hmm. Um, I had to take him out. He had, right. to, he had to go to the bathroom. You know, I had to eat, he needed food. He needed this. He needed that. It wasn't just me looking after myself in, in because – when I was looking after myself, I just need the bare minimum. Okay, give me a, a lunch bowl, give me a burger, give me something, and I'll just go back, lay, lay in my room, and kind of hide away. Right. And I was very self conscious with going out in public, people seeing this guy. Here's this guy in a wheelchair with no legs. You know, I didn't mm. want people to see me like that. You know, I was, I was very prideful and I didn't want to be seen that way. Um, and having my service dog at the time, you know, gave me that, that confidence, a little, little bit of that confidence back to where, like, it kind of took the the visual or people staring at me and kind of took that away from me. Yeah, the focus at, wasn't so much on you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I think that helped me a lot was is getting that getting him and um, my buddy Brandon Brandon McMillan, um, famous animal trainer um, out in LA. Um, he volunteered and gave me the you know the dog for free, trained him and all that kind of stuff. Um, he actually has a show on CBS called Lucky Dog. He used to be the host for that. And he, right. he actually hosts he hosts Shark Week too. <laughs> Shark Week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, he trains lions. He's trains he has trained lions, tigers, bears, all kinds Jeez. of stuff, man. He's very well known, but he's a very dear friend of mine as well. Um so he's just big and helping the military and do everything he can. And he trained a buddy of mine's dog as well that was injured as well. And he's helped out a lot of guys with some service animals and yeah. 
So it was really, I would say, a lot of the stuff that got me through, you know, and not not all of it, of course, but it definitely sure. helped a lot was having my service dog there. And, you know, at, at night, in the mornings when I got up, when I was in those weird spots, yeah, um, it helped me in a lot of ways. So what was it harder to adjust to this new life mentally or physically? Which Which one was harder for you? Um, that's, that's, that's a tough question, man. <laughs> um, I would say, I don't know, probably mentally, but I've always been a very mentally strong person. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about myself or sound conceited in that way, but I've, I've always, I believe I've always been very mentally strong and, and headstrong. Um, yeah, bullheadedness can also, can definitely be a positive thing, right? Right. Um, so I, I think I think that's I, I think I, I handle life, especially. I, I, obviously, I went through my rough my rough times. You mm-hmm. know, like every sure you can imagine, like I was you know there staring at a wall and just and just kind of like in a really bad spot for a while there. But it's um, at some point something just clicks in you, man. And you know, I'll, I'll tell you about that here in a little bit. I imagine, but. Um, I had this one experience that just kind of, it, it changed me for the, for the better. And it kind of, um, made me want to keep going for lack of better ways of saying it, you know? And, um, since then I've just been wanting to live life and help out other guys. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, what, what was that defining moment? Um, well, as you know, I run, I run a nonprofit, right? right. Um, it was um, we take injured veterans out fishing on all all expenses paid trips. Um, it was actually a fishing trip. It was about I want to say it was a few months, three somewhere between three and six months. I, I sometimes I tell the story and I'm like, hey, it's four months, three months <laughs> after I got blown up, two months after. I I don't remember exactly, but it was somewhere between three and six months um, after I initially got blown up. Um, I know it was relatively soon after I got blown up. Um, I got invited. Uh, a bunch of us guys from Walter Reed like got invited to go down to the Keys to go fishing, deep sea fishing, um, all together. Um, and you can imagine, like at that point, I'm I'm still sitting in my barracks room and um, and I'm just man, I'm, just, I'm so mad at the world. I'm just so depressed, you know, and just like I don't want to. Like, I, I can't walk anymore, you know. I don't want to be in this chair, you know. Right. I just you know, should, should I should I keep going? You know, is this life still for me? You know. Yeah. And, and all those dark thoughts go through your mind, but then they're like, "Hey, let's go down and go fishing." And, and I was like, "Nah, yeah, I'm good. I don't, I don't really, you know, care to. You know, I'm from Florida. I don't really care to go back down to Florida to go fishing." And, um, but anyways, my buddy Greg Hedrick, he he was probably my best friend through Walter Reed, and in um, uh, he's like, "Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's go fishing together." And we ended up, so we went fishing. There was, I think, there was seven or eight of us total on that trip. We went down to the Keys, and we all stayed in the same hotel right there on the water, and we went out fishing on the ocean. Um, and there's the the one moment that I can vividly remember. I was sitting on the back of the boat. Um, I I just I look around, and I was and again, this might sound cheesy or corny, man, but um, I just. I, it's weird because I was looking out and I, I just, I, I look out the sky, the ocean, the, you know, the ocean line. And, um, and, and it's almost just like an overwhelming sense of just peace, you know, and just mm. clarity, you know, and, um, and it just, 
it's almost like one of those moments where you're looking at something, you just you get goosebumps, you know, yeah. like your hair stands up, you know, and you're <laughs> just like, and it just, an overwhelming, like just a weight almost felt like got, at that moment got kind of got lifted from me. And, um, and it just, I just remember looking out there and I just, I just felt happy. I felt, I felt really happy. And I, I looked up, other everyone's faces were just sitting there and, you know, we had a guy catching a fish at the moment and, Everyone's laughing and smiles in everyone's faces, and everyone's having a great time. And here's just a bunch of us guys missing limbs in wheelchairs in the back of a boat, just <laughs> you know, smoking and joking and hanging out. And, it's you know, been it's a just, while since you felt that happy, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's been a while since I felt that happy, and um, and I, I was able to have that experience with guys that that knew the struggle, right? You know, that, that yeah. shared my same trials and tribulations, you know, yeah. and understood. Um, so it, it, it was really that moment there that I was like, you know, man, like this is, I, again, it might sound weird, but I, I, I want to keep going. You know, life yeah. is beautiful. Life right. can still be good, you know, and um, so that's, that's what I took from that. And ever since, and the, I think that was my very defining moment. And I think that that changed me and mm-hmm. helped me and in more ways than some people have actually realized. Um which that moment is the reason why I wanted to start my nonprofit. Yeah, I was going to say it was a it was a good transition. You're you know you're probably thinking, man, I feel you know I felt so much at peace and had so much fun doing this. How great would this be for other veterans, right? Exactly, that's exactly what I felt because I, I I told the guy like I, I was on that trip and I told the guys that you know the basically the cadre of that trip, the guys that are running it. I was like, dude, I can't wait to come back next year. I want to come back. And I was so excited. And they're like, <laughs> and they're like, Hey, you know, sorry to inform you. Like you, you can't come back. Um, this is basically what I'm done. We got to get other guys in, which I understood. Yeah. You know, that's you yeah. Know, to help out the next guy and make sure everyone's taken care of. But I was like, man, like that, that's, that, like, that kind of sucks. You know, I'd love to come <laughs> right. back. What I experienced there, I wanted to feel that again, you know? And, um, so I, I made a nonprofit with the intention of there's always people able to come back and experience this again. And, um, there's always a certain amount of slots for these guys that need to return and, and more trip opportunities. And that's the goal for the future. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was like, man, I, I, I really want other guys to experience what I've experienced. You know, if on our trips, the, the, I think the four or five trips we've had for hooking veterans, um, I always tell people, I was like, man, like if, if I'm taking 12 veterans out fishing, you know, and at least one of them gets what I got from my time, or even a portion of what I got. Right. I mean, that's a win. You yeah, know, like that, that's a that's a win. Yeah, and and it's and a it's, blessing that you could give somebody else that same feeling. You know, exactly. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's huge way for you to heal yourself too. Exactly. I mean, I'm still going fishing too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so there was one story that I, I want to touch on real quick, and then we'll get more into your business. Um, but there was a young autistic man who used to send you care packages, right? Lucas. Yeah. So tell tell the story about Lucas r- real quick. Um, I didn't know much about him at first. Um, so what happened was my mom was in contact with his mom. Um, he would send me care packages all the time, ask me how I was doing. Um, he, I think he – I think I actually have it right here. It's funny enough, it's sitting right in front of me. I know people online can't see this, but he sent me this, which is a build a I'm pretty sure this a build a bear bat like bear dressed in a Batman suit. <laughs> it's funny that it's actually sitting right in front of me in this drawer. Right. Uh, but he sent me this and like and with him, this symbolized like I was his hero. 
for whatever yeah. reason, you know, like this is this is what I meant to him. You know, he sent me this Batman, this superhero build a bear thing. And it was it was the coolest thing. I've kept this entire time. Like I won't get rid of it. Um but he was just he was always just the sweetest kid, man. Just sent me all kinds of letters and just nice nice letters and nice thoughts and just uh and always told me he said just keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> just don't stop. And um so he's always very positive and I, I made the trip down to to Florida where he was and hung out with him for a couple of days and Yeah, so uh, you surprised him at school, right? Yep, I went to his school and stuff and he was he was so excited, jumping with joy. You know? <laughs> and you know, we hung out and we talked to his whole class and you know just it was so happy in that moment that I showed the time to come you know, yeah. talk with him, hang out with him. But but um you know the the letters and stuff he sent me, you know, helped me a lot too. Right. You know, that, um, well, that's fantastic so that you, that, you know, that you went down there. You made a personal effort to go down there and thank him for being so helpful to you. You know, I mean, that's yeah. that's great. Yeah, yeah, had to. He was, he was a good kid. He was, <laughs> he was, I think he was, he was eight, eight or ten years old, somewhere around there. Wow, it's been many years now, but I don't remember. But yeah, he really good kid, man. That's cool. Really kid. That's a good story. So then. You you start your nonprofit, and I did in 2019. Actually, it took some years afterwards. It took it took many. I retired in 2014. Um, you know, in 2012, I won that fishing trip, and I wanted to do it for so long. You know, and um, I guess it took me some years to to, to find the right people basically right. to share my my story, my dream with, and they're like, "Hey, let's do it." You know, and, um, what actually happened was I was. I went on a hunting trip in Texas. Um, we were hunting hogs out of a helicopter. Um, <laughs> one of the coolest things. <laughs> so cool. Um, so I ended up meet, meeting some guys down there, and they're and um, I told them my. Uh, I'm just hanging out down there actually, and the guys, you know, a bunch of nice guys, like, hey, yeah, I got this, got a house in Florida, and it turns out this this guy had you know, quite a bit of money. Um, he's like, yeah, I got this boat in Florida, come fishing. I won this raffle and for this white glove fishing trip. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm there hundred percent. Like, if you know anything about me, I love fishing, especially the ocean, you know? And he's like, Hey, come down and go fishing with me. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> I went to Adam's house. We got on this 75 foot Viking, you know, sport wow. fish boat. And, you know, there's the guy, the captain crew was nice. And the captain crew of the same boat, there's still the captain, um, one of the crews that help us out for my nonprofit to this day. Um, but that was the first time out there meeting them and we're out there catching Mahi Mahi and all this kind of stuff. And they're just feeding us sandwiches and drinks and hanging out. And like, they call it white glove because you don't have to do nothing. They're like, Hey, you need something. We'll give it to you. Wow. Um, um, so um, I've been just on that trip out there fishing and I was actually telling these guys and um, my buddy, Booch, Joseph Buccini, um, military friend of mine he was actually he's one of my best friends to this day um he was actually on the trip from texas with me because me and him went out there together he invited me and i went with him um and then he went with me to the florida trip because we we're both together on the texas trip so okay. he, he invited both of us and yeah. we went there and uh, um that's where i met colby briggs was on that trip too he was part of the crew for that day um he's actually one of our co-founders and board members as well colby briggs um so I remember just telling in that moment, I told all of them on the boat, um, I, I basically talking to every single one and kind of uh, give them my little story and what that meant, that 
trip again meant to me mm-hmm. on the first trip I went and then what the trip I was on currently with them, what that was meaning to me as well. Um, cause it's not every day you have the opportunity to be on a, you know, $10 million yeah. yacht basically, or excuse me, a sport fish boat, the guys that own those boats, it's not a yacht, it's a sport <laughs> fish boat. Um, but you, most people get the opportunity to be on a boat of like that, you know, yeah. and, and to do that type of fishing. It's, it's, um, so it's quite the experience. And I, I remember telling the whole crew and everybody, I'm like, Hey man, this has been my dream. This is the one I, I, I wish I could do this for other veterans. Um, you know, I, again, I told him that first story I told you about me fishing and, and mm-hmm. what it meant to me and me wanting to give that back to other people. And, um, yeah, I must, I must have struck something good with them because immediately every single one of them just looked at me and they're like, Hey, let's do this. Let's, he's like, 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 we'll just do it. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> do it. You know, yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. How the hell do we do this? <laughs> yeah. So literally on that drive, like I was literally driving home, you know, it was a 10, 11 hour drive, excuse me, 10, 11 hour drive back home to North Carolina. And I'm on the phone about the, about eight hours of that drive with Colby and Booch and the other guys. And we're like, how do we do this? We're doing this. Let's start this. And Literally months later, like we we had Hook a Veteran started with this official five hundred one c three. We had all the paperwork in with the IRS, everything, and like it was it was started, boom, right then and there. Um, and it was it was the most exciting thing, and we just had so much you know energy going forward. We got our mm-hmm. very first trip going soon after that. We brought out some, um, I think our first trip we had six veterans. We brought out um, Kevin Spall, the same same style of boat, the, the sport fish yacht, the seventy five footer. And it's just everyone loved it, man. It was it was an awesome experience, and um, and still to this day, like I get people that went on the very first trip. Still, some good friends of mine I went to Walter Reed with because those are initial guys I wanted to take guys I knew like, right. right away that you could benefit from that kind of stuff. Yeah. And they just and they all you know testified to me basically that it, it helped them in many ways, um, and because. I'll tell you too, like you can imagine I've been to different therapists, different mm-hmm. types of therapy, this, that, and the other. Um, and personally, that's never been something that works for me. Um, it, it really doesn't. And some people do that. It, it helps them tremendously that they just, they need that type of stuff and it affects them differently. Right. Uh, but for me and for other guys that I, I, I've known, especially maybe some comic guys that don't like talking about that kind of stuff. Sure. I want to talk to their feelings, you know? Um, I think these outdoor activities with other veterans makes a huge difference that people don't realize. Yeah. So some, some people are like, Oh man, it's just fishing. Like, why do I want to help a nonprofit that only takes guys fishing? Like anyone can just go out and go fishing, you know? Yeah. But you guys have the same struggles, you know, you, you have the same background, you're living, you know, pretty similar lives and, you know, with those daily struggles that, you know, like I, I can't understand the stuff that you go through, you know? I mean, like, like we were going to do a podcast, a, I don't know, a month or so ago. And then you ended up having phantom pains all night long and mm. just, you know, you weren't able to do it, which I understand that. And I had a buddy of mine that uh, lost an arm to cancer. And he said that, you know, he would get those phantom pains, but I can't understand what that's like because I'm not, I haven't been in your shoes, you know? Um, but I could see how being out on a boat with, you know, five, six, ten, whatever guys that have that same similar life experience and struggles has got to be super bonding and and therapeutic at the same time. Absolutely, and that's 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 my form of therapy. Yeah, that's that type of therapy 
helps me more than say sitting in an office talking to somebody. Yeah. Well, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to try to explain, Hey, this is, this is a struggle for me. They, they already know that they already stand, understand mm -hmm. that, you know, they have that same struggle probably. So, but when you guys can just be out there, you know, each other, you know what each other's lives are like, and you're having a good time and enjoying each other. That that's, that's gotta be, you know, just a hell of a high right there. It is. It's a tr tremendous high, man. I mean, people that get out in those situations, they, they get out of the military. Even the guys have been injured like me. They go out and they, they're at home. And some people have wives. Some people don't. Some yeah. people are on their own. And they're just they're, – they're back there staring at that wall, you know, just be like, man, like what am I – how do I go forward? What am I doing here? And, you know, I might, I might say, hey, hey, Joe, hey, Jim, you know, like, hey, you want to – I want to invite you to go fishing. And they're yeah. like, oh my God, dude, that'd be awesome. And they're, <laughs> they have something to look forward to. They're going out with these guys, they're doing this, and they get out, they get to experience this trip. And then they're like, hey, by the way, you know, you have the opportunities at some point in the future to come back. This yeah. is not a one and done thing. You know, yeah. um, I want I want you to take basically what we do on our trips is we we want to teach you everything involves that is with fishing. I want to teach you how to bait a fish, what we're fishing for. You know how to bait your hook, how to put on different lines, and what type of reels to use, what weight, you know, what weight of lines, all everything. Yeah. So you can take the knowledge that we've taught you, and then take it home to your friends, take it home to your family. Yeah. You know, have a hobby. This isn't could be a new hobby for us. Like go out to the dock, go out to the pier, go fishing. Sure. You know, rent a boat. Yeah. You know, like it. It's not just like, hey, here's a pole here, reel this up. Right. You know. Yeah. Like, no, here's a hobby, dude. Here's an actual activity you can take home to yourself, to your friends and family right. to utilize forever. You can teach your kids if you have kids in the future. Teach your kids what we're teaching you to fish. You know, exactly. Build that relationship. Build that hobby for yourself. Yeah. So how how do people donate to your cause, donate to Hook and Veterans? What What's what's the best way? Um, the best way would be our website. Um, so our website, you could go on there. We have a actually subscription. If you like, you could donate any kind of, any amount you want. It could be $5, $100, $10, $10,000, whatever you want to do. Um, I usually tell people that we have merchandise on there as well. Um, you can just hey, go on there, buy a t-shirt, buy, buy a mug, buy something, you know, that right. helps out as well. Um, but we have our subscriptions on there too. Um, yeah, you could, you could donate $5 a month, $10 a month, have it recurring. Um, I, I mean, people spend $20 a month on Netflix and probably don't ever use it, you know, and <laughs> all this kind of different, um, right. movie watch things, you know? So like, I mean, really, realistically, what's an extra $5 a month? How's that? I mean, you yeah. really help get a good cause if you're able to do that five, ten, twenty dollars $20 a month, you know, which those little things add up people they do sure it every do. month. They add up tremendously. And it does a lot of good. Um, so our website is our best way, um, to donate. There's a direct link on there and how to donate and how to help, um, and your website is? It is hookinveterans.com. Okay. So it's H-O-O-K-I-N veterans.com. All right. Well, and we'll make sure that we get that out on our uh, description of your podcast too. So, Tyler, thanks a lot for uh, – I know we were trying to do this and we both had some mix-ups trying to get this podcast going, but um, I'm I'm really glad that – you are on today as our guest, and I think you're doing a fantastic thing for other veterans. Um, and it's really cool. Your story is good. How you know one fishing trip, you know, really kind of gave you that inspiration to say, you know what, life life can still be good again. 
and now mm-hmm. you're you're giving that back to other veterans. So that's that's fantastic to do that. Yeah, just the, the dream is to do to do more. Well, yeah, like, and hopefully, tough, hopefully, you know, some of our listeners will get on your website and um, you know give a little bit, buy some merchandise from you. Um, that, that would always friend. be great. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, the, the goal is to to do three to five, even more trips a year yeah. you know, to help more veterans. We're doing 12 people per trip. Like, I want to be able to take 20 people per trip. Yeah. If we have the funds and the means to do it, you know, then let's do it. Let's help everyone we can. You know, yeah. and, um, right now we've only been able to do one trip a year. Um, I think we're trying to do two trips a year. I think we have a trip coming up. Hopefully we're able to do one before the year ends. Um, but every little cent helps us tremendously. And not a, I will, I will tell everybody so everyone knows, not a single dime, a penny, goes to anyone, any one of our co-founders, board members, nothing. No one takes a single cent. It all goes back straight to the veterans, straight for paying for their trips to give them the time that they need. Oh, so that's no fantastic. Anything, so... Well, that's fantastic. Um, so for our listeners, um, again, I, I want to r- remind all our listeners um, that we're here for you um, anytime, 24-7. If you're, you know, struggling, having a hard time, I uh, need to empty that psychological garbage can a little bit, you can call us. Our toll-free number is 855-889-2348. Uh, and if you hit extension one, you will get somebody. It's going to roll to the first available stress coach. Uh, Just make sure that you hang on the line. You will get somebody. Uh, If you want to speak directly with Susan, you can hit her extension, which is number two, um, and it'll go to her. If you, you might have to leave a a message if she's in session with somebody, uh, but she will call you back. Or you can call her on her cell phone uh, at 334-324-3570. Uh, she'll tell you text during the daytime and you can call in the evenings. Uh, if you want to speak with David Cohen, who's our counterpart down in Alabama, you hit extension three, you'll get him. I'm extension four. If you want to talk to me, uh, also you can call my cell phone at 480-861-6574. And this is again for all police, fire, military veterans. We're here for you and your families. Um, families, you guys got a tough job sending your loved ones off, um, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, however it is, whether you're military or first responder. Um, but you guys got a tough job and don't get very much thanks. So we'd like to thank you. Uh, and we are available to help you if you, um, start seeing some signs, changes in your loved one, you can reach out and talk to us and, you know, we can give you some, tips, guidance, and maybe th- th- say the right thing to get your spouse or loved one to, to contact us. Uh, again, we are available 24-7. Uh, so wrapping this up, again, I want to say thank you to Tyler and Hook and Veterans uh, for his nonprofit. Uh, go visit his site and give him the love. Um, God bless you. God bless this country. And have a great day.